Hey, butches. Hello, hello. How's uh, how's everything been? It's good. I actually have to restrain myself from using like the opener from uh, uh, from Howard Stern, um, just because like it, it, we could end up with a lawsuit. But then I th- more the more I think of it, it's like okay, let it happen. And if we get a lawsuit, it'll eventually get dropped because it's ridiculous. But think of all the free press. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like it's 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 great marketing, but uh, we'll have to see what our imaginary lawyers will think of it. I guess. It's not imaginary. He's real. He just takes pity on us because we can't pay him. <laughs> he just goes to another <laughs> law firm. You don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the intern give us life or death law legal advice. Oh right, right, yeah. It's just yeah. uh, it's like you, you, you read the Constitution once, right? No, who cares? Do it. I've checked the books, and murder is legal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say. No. Anyways. Oh man. Weird week. Very weird Indeed. week. Oh, yeah. How, how has it been uh, weird on your end? Once again, it's one of those things I would love to talk about, but I'm a VC and there are laws about stuff I say publicly. But yeah. let's just say legal was weird. It was very weird. Interesting. We went from, this is all completely acceptable. Don't you dare do that in like three seconds. It's like sometimes I feel like some of the lawyers we work with, and I'll say this because I know they don't listen to this crap. It's they're on meds and they skip it for the calls with me. <laughs> Damn, that much, that much like fluctuation or just, just obscurity in decisions. Um, obscurity would actually be clarity from where we're at now. There's like a point beyond <laughs> obscurity where it's like, this will do. Nope. Interesting. That's it. I yeah, like yeah. That's kind of, uh, that's, that's interesting, but I mean, Hey, hopefully, uh, once once we get to that that glorious day where you could talk about all this uh we can we can dive deeper into that i guess uh yeah with uh the therapist who'll also be working with us because he's taking pity and we still can't pay him <laughs> speaking of not being able to afford anything how's your startup oh boy uh great great actually so so the finally for once the one exciting thing that happened this past week i could talk about so the reason we're actually filming this on a Monday and dropping on Tuesday is because we had our first company retreat over the weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. So blasted it out on Twitter and did all that stuff. But really, really interesting seeing everyone in person. I mean, uh, did a couple of workshops here and there, but um, we like went on a boat ride and and, yeah, just lots of very, very fun things with people who... You went on a boat ride? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Marina del Rey, but the, the entire weekend, it was just extremely hazy in LA, which was very, very... Did you have the consent of the owner of the boat this time? <laughs> uh, I, for, for don't legal reasons, don't I, answer, I don't cannot answer. ask beep, beep, Okay. <laughs> I, I have to say beep because we can't even afford the beep thing. The, 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 oh, right, the, right. I have to actually buy it. There's actually a price on the beep that I have to buy from a certain website so that I could use it on this thing without being pulled by Apple. Seriously, um, damn everything. Yeah, they asked me. By the way, uh, for the listeners, like Mo doesn't handle the editing and uploading of all this crap, and uh, it was a crash course for me. And it turns out that if you have any kind of audio that you did not specifically pay for, Apple will pull your podcast. That's that's kind of concerning. Yeah, I'm, I, I wonder what we have to pay for exactly. Like, even if it's like casual references. Hey, did you watch the episode of The Samsons? Hmm. The Samsons. <laughs> or Family Dude. Maybe, uh, 
family dude, um, Pakistani patriarch. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I remember that episode of Conan where he was like, um, I can't let you hear this song because it would be very expensive for the network, but if you were to hear it, you would be very thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I like but that. There was that a, I was just think... like running up the tab at NBC his last few days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. No, I remember a family guy. They were um they were talking about like I think it was the scene with like Peter and Brian. They're like, Oh, you mean uh McDormans? You mean Burger Queen? And then they kind of break the fourth wall and they goes like, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We sh we should get sued. Maybe it's good publicity. It's it's great PR, honestly. I mean, that's that's how Trump built his empire, didn't he? Don't say the T word, man. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean Because then if you talk about this is a rule with podcasting. If you talk about Trump or crypto, that's what it's about until the end of the episode, or somebody shoots either me or Mo. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You mean you mean someone disappears us? Basically, yeah. Yeah. I just okay. released Orange a man. new coin. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, that's yeah. No, we're not going there. That's Anyways, the baseball's over. I'm sad. Though I'm not as sad as yeah. I used to be because, like, I'm I'm still in Kuwait. By the way, you know, for the listeners, not you. But it's yeah. I I it's completely ruined the way I consume American sports. Basically, because every game is at like three in the morning, and you got to wake up and like try to stay awake. And I'm doing it in a house with other people, so it can't be loud enough that I bother them. And uh, you have to like restrain your your very like well intentioned uh, you know yells or, oh, or chance yeah. for your team. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah, go Patriots, yeah, <laughs> you know. But that sounds like NFL ASMR or something. Exactly, I'm cheering in ASMR. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, I think it's, I just it's, I used it's to do it early, but I just I can't I can't wake up that early anymore. Oh, plus, it's a weekday. Like I I got to go to work after, you know. Oh, true, true. Yeah. I mean, hey, hopefully, when you're here, we can actually drive to games and stuff, right? Yeah, by which you mean I drive to the games because you're still afraid of freeways. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Until... he's 22 years old. He still doesn't drive <laughs> on freeways. Hey, I mean, to, in LA, I have not found. I have not found a valid reason yet. I, I will soon. I might. I don't know. We'll see. Your Hopefully dietary if, uh, options are restricted to your zip code because you can't get on a freeway. <laughs> that's a great point. But I have I have a I have a Dave's hot chicken that's that's a ten minute drive away, so I, I can't complain. This episode brought to you by No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> God, I wish. I, I, I got excited a little bit. I was like, wait, are you surprising me? Do we actually have a sponsor? <laughs> no. This episode brought to you by Dad. Dad paid for lunch today. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> true, true. Uh, the unsung heroes. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of unsung heroes, or villains, depending on your perspective, oh, look. I don't know. Yeah. I have a name. What is it? Uh, Mikimoto Kokichi. Have you heard of it before? Interesting. I have not. Okay. So Mikimoto, which uh, if you've been to Japan, you'll recognize that name uh, being on some buildings in Tokyo. 
So Mikimoto wow. Kokichi, this dude rocked the world of the Gulf region of the Middle East. So for the unacquainted, that's uh, Kuwait, uh, Qatar, Saudi, uh, the Emirates, Bahrain, Oman. Um, this dude completely rocked the world of the Gulf region almost 100 years ago. And his name is virtually unknown. Even among Arabs today, um, even among Kuwaitis today, his name is, is unknown. So this guy, the Japanese patent office named him one of the 10 like great Japanese inventors uh, sometime in the 80s for creating a series of methods and patents that by 1935 was producing about 10 million cultured, spherical, beautiful, perfect pearls per year for export worldwide. 10 million. Oh, so, so he's the guy that, that took pearls away from the GCC. He's the dude who took the pearls away from the GCC. This guy's Holy method God. was seen as uh, uh, like, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it was considered inconceivable technology only a couple of years before he did it. So in 1927, uh, Mikimoto met with Thomas Edison, who is one of the greatest inventors who ever lived, right? You know, mm -hmm. the muckers. And he left him in complete awe of his methods, as Edison was quoted to have said, quote, what he was doing was biologically impossible, end quote. So Jesus. this guy's method and the tens of millions, or actually the 10 million <clears throat> pearls that he was producing with his method um, ended up plunging the Gulf region of Arabia into an economic depression. So to clarify, you know, a pearl forms when some kind of impurity enters the pearl and the knacker is then emitted by the interior of the pearl, thus coating the impurity and causing a pearl to form. And of course, the more mm -hmm. spherical, spherical and perfect it is, the higher the value, so on and so forth. This guy's method was basically he, well, him and a number of other people, just to give you know credit where it's due, um, mm -hmm. invented this tool that they would use to implant um, a, a foreign impurity, sometimes even a piece of the uh, oyster's own shell, um, into it and thus stimulate the production of knackers to be sure basically that every single one was being that every single oyster that was manipulated in this method would produce a pearl. Okay. Mm -hmm. So okay. instead of uh, having to, to try your luck and get as many oysters as you can, you can now culture them in a sort of designated pool in the, in the sea and every single one would have a pearl in it. And of course there's a lot of like uh, trade specific know-how as to how they got each and every one to be perfectly beautifully spherical. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the GCC region ends up spending, spending many years in economic depression basically up until the discovery and commercialization of petroleum. All right. Oh, wow. So, so, so if it wasn't for oil, we just simply wouldn't have recovered from this. Right. So yeah, yeah. here's the thing. The GCC region, um, having spent so long in economic depression, really found no way out of it with other existing trades until the commercialization of oil. So to me, this is maybe the best example of creative destruction. Creative mm -hmm. destruction, and look, I think back to 2012, for example, okay? Um, creative destruction back then when Romney was running for president, he was Mr. Private Equity, and Bain was the biggest devil in the world. You don't remember because you were five. But it, it, creative destruction was thought to be, you know, rich people buying out companies, wrecking them, and then somehow selling them for more, right? To people outside mm -hmm. the finance industry, I can see how that may pass with, you know, very little scrutiny. But that's just not what it is. What I just recounted with the pearls, that was creative destruction. It was a creative act that caused massive economic destruction elsewhere.
So this is a great example of, of creative destruction, okay? And the thing with creative destruction is that the net gain to society as a result of, of creative destruction um, is far greater than what would be preserved if protectionist measures were enacted to protect people who were being basically innovated into irrelevance. Uh, so, right. Yeah. So I want to focus a little bit on what's happening in the hardware space of venture capital um, because I believe it best reflects VC's original purpose of incubating value deemed a long shot by conventional investors. And this value that's being incub incubated will ultimately deal a great deal of creative destruction to people. Before I go any further, was so, that like so a graceful segue or did I just totally muck it up? No, I see it. I see it. I mean, I, I think so. Are, are you basically saying that there's some sort of historical parallel between um, pearls and what they did to the GCC versus what's about to happen in the hardware space? Bingo. And it's a very, very specific kind of hardware. Okay. Interesting. So okay. here's the thing. In the last couple of days and weeks, I have been very, very enamored by what's been going on in the fusion industry. Hmm. So fusion or nuclear fusion, um, it's been the butt of a joke that's been going around for as long as they've been trying fusion, which at this point is like 60, 65 years. Um, and fusion is always three decades away, no matter when you ask how far away it is. Yeah. Because there was always just one more breakthrough, one more miracle that needed to happen in order for fusion to ultimately be viable, right? I'm going to go into what fusion is and how it differs from like nuclear fission and all of that in a second. But I think this is really the best analogy nowadays of what's happening with the VC's industry's new, the VC industry's newfound penchant for investing in clean energy alternatives, including alternatives that not too long ago were deemed by even the most intellectual among people to be just impossible and crazy, you know, nutball science pseudoscience right mm -hmm. so there's there's this company in in the boston area called commonwealth fusion systems it's an offshoot of mit okay um it's a portfolio company of chris sacca's uh lower carbon capital you know his uh his fund um you know his climate tech fund aimed at kind of reversing the effects of all this horrific release of carbon over the last few centuries so right. they yeah. recently announced a major breakthrough in nuclear fusion technology so they've finally created a sustained magnetic field that is necessary for a fusion reaction to create more power than it consumes. Okay, that means we are much hmm. closer, much closer to having a functioning nuclear fusion power plant than anyone has ever dreamed possible, uh, even up to like a couple years ago. So let me let me tell you why this is a massive, massive step forward, and why this is basically the energy industry's equivalent of discovering how to culture a pearl. Okay. Right? So this technology is miles ahead of nuclear fission. Okay. Fission, which is all, which is basically what we're referring to when we talk about nuclear energy today. All right. Okay. Fission takes radioactive uranium and it breaks it into smaller elements. And that generates an immense amount of heat and radioactivity. And that also generates nuclear waste that's virtually impossible to dispose of. Okay, and of course that immense heat then heats water. Um, the water, uh, you know, turns to steam. Steam runs a turbine. That kind of thing. You know, that that part of the process is like a couple hundred years old, two hundred years old, right? Yeah. So so any any time we sort of thought of nuclear energy, we thought fission. So like all the you horror stories fission. of people throwing stuff in the 
what was it in like the the um the gulf the of mexico mm-hmm. throwing barrels into it and just hoping they did they sink like this is all just a byproduct of fission that's all a byproduct of fission okay so fusion is a little different okay fusion mm-hmm. takes something called deuterium which is a specific you know uh form of hydrogen that is naturally occurring and is found in seawater okay Okay. Um, and then it takes lithium or sometimes some other element, but usually lithium, which is super cheap, super abundant in the upper crust of the earth. Mm-hmm. And together it electrically heats them up to around hundred degrees Celsius, which turns them into a plasma. And a plasma is a state beyond gas where the subatomic particles basically come apart and free float in extreme heat. Right. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. by the way, before I get like an angry physics nerd in my DMS, I know I'm super mm-hmm. simplifying it, but this is only a one hour podcast. So indeed, and so, physicists aren't our our uh, our target demographic here. Uh, no, <laughs> not that I know <laughs> of. Okay, right. So, so you you now have this plasma. Okay, you need mm-hmm. to compress this plasma with a very strong magnetic field to get the plasma to fuse into helium, and that process also produces immense heat. You know that hundred million d- degrees we're talking about, oh, yeah. uh, a, a negligible amount of radiation. And it creates no nuclear waste. So none of that stuff that you got to go chuck into the Gulf of Mexico or a billion other waterways around the world, which is terrible or buried or whatever. Okay. What fusion is really is the way stars work. So if you look at a star, you look at the sun, for example, I mean, why has it continued burning for billions of years and will continue to burn for billions of years without running out of fuel? It's because it's nuclear fusion that's going on in there. But instead of instead of using a powerful magnet to compress it all it's the it's the star's own gravity compressing the interior of it yeah yeah Yeah. that's why like to get a little bit into the whole neil degrasse tyson-esque astronomy that's Mm -hmm. why stars yeah are the size they are because the core is like consistently fighting against the gravity that's pushing it in and that's also why those um that's also why supernovas happen when they can mm-hmm. no longer push against the gravity and it just yep. all collapses under Explodes. its own weight. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. Okay. So here, here's the thing. Now, the the implantation of a part of an oyster shell into the interior of it to produce knacker was impossible without a particular tool, even though theoretically we had known it was possible for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this analogy, with a fusion reactor, it was impossible to get the pressure generated on the inside of a star as a result of its gravitational forces here on Earth in order to sustain a fusion reaction. Okay? Okay. Until MIT figured out a way to make these magnets that actually get that pressure. Oh, so so was it was it the tools needed to reach the pressure that was the obstacle, or was it just something to contain all that pressure? Because that's, that's a... It's well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a physicist and containing the pressure is not as difficult as creating it and sustaining it. But basically it was the material that the, the magnets were actually made of in order to generate a magnetic field equal, equal to 20 Tesla. Now wow. what that, yeah, not that's 20 Tesla model S's. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. So 20 Tesla is the unit used, uh, for this measurement. Okay. Right now here's the thing. This is all about what they call the Q. Not those cues; they're okay. idiots. The cue I'm talking about is is uh, basically it's it's a ratio of how much power goes into it versus how much power comes out of the fusion reaction. 
-hmm. Now, the power going into the fusion reaction up until this point in history has always been lower than the power coming out because they could not quite get the magnetic field necessary to adequately compress it and generate more power out of fusion. Okay. So Commonwealth, uh, Commonwealth um, fusion systems, again, Saka's portfolio company, has mm -hmm. built with these new magnets a uh, system that could, in theory, produce a Q factor of 10. So 10 and times as much power coming out of it than the power going into it in order to initiate fusion. So to, to get a sense of scale of that, like what's, what's the current number for most fusion reactors today, or at least the ones that exist, if any? So it's it's been improving at a rate that was actually um, better than kind of you know advances in microprocessors better than moore's law but we wow. kind of hit we kind of hit a ceiling at around a q of 0.7 and that was done i believe by a group in uh, either france or the uk hmm yeah but but now you know the math says the physics says that we can hit a q of 10 with this new uh, cfs reactor however they have, they have stated publicly that even though we believe it can hit 10, we just want to hit two. Because if we hit two, we can actually talk about generating power with fusion, which means our our uh, power source is seawater. Which is, you know, more than abundant, basically. Right. Now, let me ask you this before we get even further into it. What does that do to the Middle East oil revenues? To the gas oh. revenues? They're they're gonna their their charts are going to resemble a crypto rug pull basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, oil coin is gonna go to nothing. Right. <laughs> but you know, and the thing is, this is all very very sudden, very similar to what happened um, with uh, with the artificial pearls, because artificial pearls went from being you know barely able to be cultured on their own by early you know I mean the late nineteen twenties um, to being so abundant. And so um, you know, so abundant and 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 so available to basically the entire world market by mid by the mid 1930s that there was just simply no point in even diving for pearls anymore in the Middle East, and that was the result of technological advancement. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the interesting part is like you know the last time this happened, um, you were talking about the depression in the GCC until oil was discovered. So right. I guess the question is now, are we seriously just going to stay in a depression until we find the next oil? natural resource that'll benefit us? Or, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. But to tie this back to you know what's happening in the venture ecosystem and what's happening in hardware, since everyone is you know software, 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 um, and hardware is just kind of the ugly cousin that nobody wants to talk to at the family reunion. I mm -hmm. mean, it, it's what's notable, at least as of late, is uh, Helion. H-E-L-I-O-N, recently secured okay. $2.2 billion from notable investors like Peter Thiel's Mithril Capital, uh, from Capricorn Investment Group, and from Sam Altman, you know, former CEO of YC. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're trying to produce commercially ready fusion energy reactors, um, basically by 2024. Now, these reactors wow, are going to so be the size of a shipping container, and they're going to be able to power around 40,000 homes. So this is if it works, it may be setting us up for basically um, a distributed grid. 
And they're very likely going to first be commercially used in industrial settings, like factory settings and data centers, you know, things that suck up okay. quite, a bu- quite a bit of power and can't exactly be plugged into a wall. People have to budget yeah. their own power. So this system of theirs actually, of Helion, actually, you know, it functions um, a bit like, uh, um, what's that thing in France called? The, the Large Hadron Collider. Collider yeah, right? yeah. So it takes, uh, you know, deuterium on one end of it. You know, think of it like a pipe, okay, with like a narrow area in the center. Deuterium okay. on one end of it, lithium on the other. It gets uh, sped up so that they collide in the middle of that contraption, and um, that basically causes an undulation in the magnetic field that then produces um, energy, produces electrical power. Mm-hmm. Now that. Um, could be a reality by 2024 if you can believe it. So roughly on the same time scale, we're expecting the first electric Range Rovers to drop. You know, wow. you may be able to charge it up uh, with fusion with power. Fusion power. So yeah. now the, the the first question that comes to mind when you talk about this is: so we know that you know, much like any other power resource, it starts at just like you said the commercial setting where we have data set data centers, factories. Um, I think the two questions that come to mind initially are just what's going to take what's it going to take for those reactors to become a you know residential use or like if neighborhoods can use it or specific districts or areas can use it but how do you convince people who are terrified of the idea of nuclear because anytime they think of it they think of the failures the rare failures that have we've come across in history yeah they think um, of chernobyl and and that kind of yeah thing. how do you convince those type of people to actually you know live next to one basically well here's the thing it was the people on the left the greenpeace folks who were very extremely anti-nuclear back in the 70s and 80s and were demonstrating against it i think the reality is today even dirty nuclear, even fission, is now seen as the green alternative compared to you know continuing to burn fossil fuels, and that's true. And by the way, this thing has gotten far, far more. Um, uh, you know, all of it has just gotten far safer than when it was back in the days of the Chernobyl meltdown. And let's no, no, not forget, there's an entire HBO documentary as to why the design of that reactor was a disaster, or a disaster mm-hmm. waiting to happen rather. But you know, right. there's a lot happening in the startup scene right now, backing people in the fusion space simply because it is seen as the future. Um, a good gauge of that is if you played The Sims back in like you know the late '90s, 2000s. Um, once you had reached kind of peak civilization, all your power was being generated by fusion. You know, it's the power of the stars. It's what drives the universe. Oh, that that actually reminds me a lot of um, another game, Sid Meier's Civilization. Um, yeah. I think I, I played five specifically, but. Uh, yeah, the the end of your knowledge tree is basically nuclear power, right? Because I mean, this is people call it a star in a jar, you know. Oh, and that's this to, yeah. You know, the, this to me is you know the original ethos of VC of the Valley, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with like building, you know, a SaaS or consumer startup or whatever, 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 what it may, whatever it may be, but with 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 these kinds of technologies. The implications are just so vast for, I mean, you fix climate change. Do you understand the implications of that? If we have these like modular reactors everywhere or one large central, like, you know, a tokamak type reactor um, that, that anyone, that entire grids can just plug into using their entire infrastructure, their entire current infrastructure without any upgrades and creating Mm -hmm. energy that is too cheap to meter, you know, generating no radiation, um, no nuclear waste. 
uh, and is powered by seawater. It almost seems too good to be true. Yeah. And you fix climate change. You know? So yeah, this is, to me, this is what VC was really made for. Again, nothing wrong with building, you know, a consumer, a SaaS startup or whatever. But these are extremely expensive, extremely long-term bets that are finally becoming something that looks like it will be commercialized sometime in the next half decade. And yeah, um, I, it's so, going to so be a, the, a pearl moment for the world. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think so, you know, both of us being in the startup space, we kind of are in love with the idea of creative destruction because any sort of sudden improvement to a norm that's inefficient is is awesome because not only does like you mentioned society benefit as a whole but the person who invented that new method gets to you know reap its gains um sort of so yeah. the thing is what you know wh when you're talking about nuclear power specifically i'm 100 percent sure that you know if uh what was the company that we mentioned commonwealth fusion systems actually is able to boil all of their processes down to a single generator that can run an entire neighborhood um an entire city an entire city as well yeah you're so, talking about so if, new york city being able to get you know hooked up to like two or three tokamak reactors tokamak is referring to the donut design of the thing okay and, and you'd be able to run the city with zero carbon and seawater yeah so so my my sort of guess around that is first of all that is awesome you know as as, as someone obsessed with just the engineering behind it it's it's amazing yeah um i think the part that i'm very interested in is is the the reaction of all the people who have massive stakes in non-renewable resources that's going to be very interesting to figure out because i mean you know say for example this comes out and it's adopted in the us and then it slowly starts spreading to europe spreading to um asia and once it starts surrounding that little you know fossil fuel safe haven that's the middle east and like the gcc specifically um what what is that region's reaction going to be you know what and i say this as someone who is from the region and currently sitting in the region given the massive massive benefits to humanity as a whole as a result of this technology actually working do their opinions even matter that's a great way to think of it honestly because because at that point if you've just reaped in benefits for the past hundred years and have failed to do anything with all that money and you're still kind of teetering you know uh credit ratings are being downgraded uh um you some of those you, some of those countries are facing massive inflation all while they had the most steady source of income um it's just about time i mean it, it, it's just human nature for us to go all right this doesn't work this has obviously caused so much crap so why not just invent something better that runs off of not only a resource that makes up 70 percent of our planet but one that's greener one that's more efficient and it's just modern it, it you know the, the 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 one thing i could say for a fact is that in the future we're not going to move away from electricity electricity everything yeah. we're building requires massive amounts of electricity like i'm on this laptop right now in the future ones that i daydream of i get out of my house get into a tesla that's been charging the entire overnight and then i drive to a restaurant that's also powered by like demand for electricity and it's it's 
requirement for life is just going to increase more and more. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with you with this as this one. I mean, it's kind in, of like in terms of in terms of creative destruction, I can't think of what will end up being a more uh, extreme version. And the, you know, think of how much money is currently sunk into like you know R and D and infrastructure in the oil and gas space worldwide. Imagine all of those pipelines becoming worthless, like in a matter of a year. Imagine all of those. That, uh, you know, yeah, like everything is just going to go to electricity. And the one way to appeal to everyone to actually shift from what is typically like you know very firmly rooted in um, in the hydrocarbon energy space and move over mm -hmm. to electricity. Like, okay, for example, um, these ships, like you know these enormous, uh, uh, like the ones that got stuck in in Suez a little while ago, things of that size. Oh, right, right, right. You yeah. know, these things are some of the worst polluters on the face of the planet. They produce so much carbon mm -hmm. and burn so much like fossil fuel. It's really, it's like the equivalent of like millions of cars, literally. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, like imagine being able to put uh, an electric motor that's powered by an onboard, you know, fusion reactor, similar to say how aircraft carriers in the US Navy are powered by onboard fission. Mm -hmm. Think of the carbon you're knocking out simply by doing that. And think of how badly hit uh, people will be in the industries and all the peripheral industries that produce the fuel for those things to actually be able to, you know, be the heart of commerce, you know, floating on the seas of the world. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think the, so the adoption of this thing, which I really hope does actually happen in that half decade, um, will cause it's going to be a rip the band-aid off type of approach where mm -hmm. there's no transition. You really can't think of it like that. It, you know, sticking to pure values like in the US that we've seen before of creative destruction. Um, if it were adopted like that, where all those pipelines, all those ref oil refineries, so on and so forth are worthless in a year, mm -hmm. um, it's going to cause a massive crash, first of all, and just that energy industry but then right. second which of all has political implications but yeah which has a ton of political implications exactly but but more importantly um just dealing with the widespread like almost a pandemic of unemployment mm -hmm. across the world that's that's going to be very interesting to figure out because you know but will a, it? a lot of people um i i'd like i'd like to say maybe because we still have seen some versions of that with you know people who used to be coal miners didn't really transition to anything because they only wanted to mine coal okay but consider this i mean right before the pandemic and pandemic effects right q4 2019 we were in terms of like you know human history at peak automation peak technology and also peak employment right you know, and like we yeah. could have made the argument that like, oh, if we had never gone into hydrocarbons and never had electrical grids, then we could have employed more people because they'd be manually turning the wheels of whatever, like it's the Flintstones. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that. I, I see how that would that would make sense. But I, but I feel like there's still going to be a little tiny amount of people like say this is com a complete hypothetical here. But say, for example, that um, uh, let's see the there's like shell right um when when nuclear power comes out it's adopted by everyone shell can't pivot appropriately and then they're screwed they crash um you Good know shell this. employs lord knows how many employees so the question behind that is just 
yeah it's it's kind of like first of all on their way down what are they going to do to fight it politically and then two once they're out it's going to be very difficult for their employees to think of the long term where they don't know when the next paycheck's coming in so that that's going to be kind of very interesting to figure out of, of just yeah. what happened to the, the jobs of people who like literally scraped crap out of pots in people's houses you know when plumbing came around like it just it seems odd that anyone would make the argument that we have to somehow stop progress to protect people's jobs because in the long term with progress we end up at man you know we end up with uh, max employment right so exactly i think then again I think the, politics is of the heart not the head so that's very true yeah i mean the 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 funny thing is i i saw i forgot her name i think it was like ann richards or something but she she was a governor of texas at one point if i remember correctly and a legendary um, governor of texas yeah yeah i'm, I'm like it, admittedly just getting to know about her and just kind of reading into her a little bit but um her one like really awesome quote is politics or like she was mentioning why she votes and she said politics is a type of game where um if you're not at the table you're on the menu so i like that i i i love that a lot like i'm I'm starting to use it for a lot of uh you know talks that we we've been having on our end but um that, that yeah i feel like that's the kind of thing it, it's it'll be very funny to see how you know primitive people are going to go and thinking like oh no well i want my job and you can't take my job away from me not understanding the net positive that's going to happen in the next do you know when they're years. do you know when they're going to lose uh like you know the the, the popular support for that kind of argument from the heart when mm -hmm. when people are convinced that preserving that these people's jobs means electricity goes back to having you know it ends up being a significant portion of their income in terms of their monthly bills right because if fusion actually works and it's so incredibly cheap metering it doesn't even matter no one is going to argue for oh no wait come go back to taking a significant chunk of my earnings every month for power to employ whoever the hell you know right i think yeah i the think the dollar is so, going to so, rule the argument exactly i i so so i see that and that makes sense but when you were talking about that i i actually remember just one instance in history that was very very interesting which is um it's great that create creative destruction can result in things like this but i think the one um the first thing that comes to mind when you were talking about things that are so cheap that it's not even worth metering are light bulbs so uh i'm, I'm not sure if you remember this but uh there was this amazing veritasium video about it on uh on YouTube, but it basically talks about how some devices and appliances are um, fake by design, or no, they're designed to fail eventually. So oh, planned obsolescence. Yes, yes, planned obsolescence. So, okay. so when it was talking about how you know a lot of the CEOs of those light bulb companies noticed that light bulbs sales were going down because they just did not die and people didn't need to buy them. So they there was this like convention in geneva where they all got together and set a standard for um they basically set a standard for um what was it um the they, they the set a, a cap bulb, on right? the light span yeah so they set a yeah. cap on the lifespan of a bulb and um if any company went over that they'd find them like that's the very interesting part is i hope that you know commonwealth fusion systems and any other companies that might lead the space don't turn to if that mm. makes any sense yeah yeah well but i think um it oh right because if it's yeah. too cheap to meter then they won't get paid anything 
for all the money that right. they've sunk into this. Yeah, exactly. Or what if we follow a patent type system, right? That kind of disrupts creative destruction as a concept, right? We give them monopolies for 20 years, and then after that, anyone can build one of these reactors with an open patent. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. I mean, I, I think, I think, I, I hope that one cartoon mouse company that's been trying to fight their main cartoon rodents being in the public domain. Um, I, I hope that fight doesn't inspire anyone on the on the nuclear fusion industry. Can we say Tom and Jerry not get sued? We can say Tom and Jerry. There, there's the other one with the red overalls. Oh no no no! Don't don't say the M word. Don't say the M word. No no. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. We'll, we'll we'll keep it at that. But I I hope they don't take pages from that book. Um, no no. Do not but, disturb um, Michael the rodent. Michael, the <laughs> <laughs> Michael the rodent. Yeah, yeah, and and just like Family Guy listeners, you, you know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, exactly. Actually, you know what's yeah. you know what's funny with this whole uh, um, the whole fusion debate and and everything that's happening in that hardware space and the climate tech space. Um, mm -hmm. I remember reading, and this is like some kind of weird out there stuff, but like the ultimate measure of um, a society's advancement would be their ability to harness the power of a nearby star as an energy source. And oh, like a Dyson sphere. That Yeah, that's exactly it, Dyson sphere. So mm -hmm. for the unacquainted, a Dyson sphere is, um, uh, how do you want to? So think of it as a device that encapsulates a star, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, in theory, if you can build some kind of containment chamber to a natural star, you can use it. Uh, basically to harness 100% of the power output of the star. And as close as we're, we're going to get to that, at least until Elon Musk cooks up something else, is mm. to replicate a star with fusion on Earth and, and you know put a jar around it and have a star in a jar and use it that way. And if you think about it, almost, this may be the final literally. energy invention. Yeah. I think so. I mean... I Lord knows there's a lot of things in, in, in theoretical physics that might present new energy sources that are more efficient than, than stars and jars. Um, but that's not for another couple of hundred years, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I think once you hit something that's as green and as, as efficiently outputting as, as this, um, I mean, yeah, the, I think collectively speaking, the entire human race is going to go, okay, this is awesome. Uh, let's take a pause on finding alternatives or let a little bit of us kind of do that. But yeah, let's just see what we can build with it. You know, we know it, we'll know it one when there are no more alternative energy startups. That's when we'll know. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Interesting. So, so a lot of like Chris Saka and like his, his, um, his fund is, is basically in the business of putting himself out of business. <laughs> yes. In a sense, yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. But, yeah. but I think so. So, like, I, I think I wanted to kind of go back to one of the core concepts that we talked about, which is creative destruct destruction. Um, just like I've mentioned multiple times in pod, in like our previous episodes, um, there's a book I'm reading. It's by um, I think Alan Greenspan and Adrian Woldridge. It's called "The Capitalism in America." It's just the history since it was just a collection of colonies all the way up to today. Um, how capitalism capitalism has kind of formed and, and, and shifted 
as the country grew. And one of the main topics that it presses on is creative destruction. Uh, creative destruction. So I think the, the so looking at it now, being in the GovTech industry and being more well acquainted with politics is very interesting because the way I look at it right now is like the, the idea of creative destruction was great back when capitalism was a bit more laissez-faire and you know immigrants visiting visiting the country described everyone as a walking workshop where everyone had a new invention everyone had something new to come up with right um but that being said i think when, when two, all of america was silicon valley basically pretty much yeah like you had canals going up at the same time railroads were going up and power lines or transmission lines are going up and you know you're talking about like andrew jackson for example rode to Washington on a horse um, at the beginning of his term, and then he left on a train. Like th That era was pretty crazy in American history. But since then, the, the two forces that have become very, very exponentially almost powerful since that time is politics and business and the business in politics. So focusing on the politics and business part, um, it's become really difficult for corporations of any size to embrace new tech without that feeling of violating some unknown, sometimes non-existent law. Um, we've seen many flavors of this, notably in crypto, and of course, not to get too into it, but we've mentioned it before where um, Andreessen Horowitz is now advocating for Web3 policy, Coinbase is pushing to create a um, regulatory body, an independent one for cryptocurrencies. Um, but bringing it back to what we talked about at least, the commissions and organizations set up to regulate nuclear energy have not had the best track record in encouraging new stations to be set up all because of failed promises of funding and multiple other hidden actors behind what I like to call the marble of Congress. But what I wanted to focus on was not the policy itself, because to be completely honest, I can't think of a way to talk about the US with Aziz and I without breaking into chance of like USA, USA, USA. USA. You, see, you know it, you know it. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, I'm. I have multiple flags hanging in my room that just is is creating a very patriotic uh, environment. But uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna to I'm saying. gonna play the uh, Super Bowl Faith Hill version of the of the national anthem. Oh, that was I love that one. There there was another one where um, it was a Cardinals and Red Sox World Series. It was a Navy officer who was singing "God Bless America," and that oh, I know, I know that, that was beautiful. Yep, yeah. But uh, okay, <laughs> what was it? Uh, USA break apart. Um, so what I wanted to focus on specifically is just the systems in place that either make up or are used by the bodies that regulate all of this new tech, right? So stepping into the shoes of a co-founder in the GovTech space, like I had to do a lot of looking around and researching about how tech is used in policymaking and how lawmakers have interacted with companies embracing new tech. And the main thing that I realized is just there's simply a lack of subject matter expertise. So I'm not necessarily referring to the lack of provisions of these resources, but there, you know, because there's a ton of that that lawmakers, staffers have access to. But I'm talking to specifically about those cringeworthy interviews almost where senators ask the CEO of Google why they can't change their wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. Know, that type of stuff. My VHR so, doesn't work. Uh. <laughs> exactly. I mean, to, to, to speak to that, it might have more to do with the fact that the average age of Congress is like 60-something. But, I mean, even young politicians will not be able to wrap their head around all this like new, massive, up until recently, theoretical tech. And it comes down to like, 
what does this require? So, so for there to be, you know, the two massive movements that we talked about are Web three and and um, nuclear fusion energy. So, does there need to be more business in politics to help communicate the 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 net positive behind the creative destruction for there to be better regulation, or should businesses just you know step out of it? As novel as an idea as that sounds, like what you're describing, I think you just invented mm -hmm. lobbying. <laughs> I, I think. I mean, so. that's, I think yeah, so. the thing is, okay, we know that as a mechanism of influence exists and has existed for a long time. The question is, mm -hmm. how do we stop it from being evil? Because the people right. trying to stop creative destruction are particularly the people using these channels. That that's exactly it. I mean, I I think that the interesting part is. It's it's not necessarily like whether lobbying should be there or not. It's who gets to access lobbying, if that makes any sense. So, like, say for example, from nuclear fusion, if I was an, if I was a lawmaker, and um, I had this one startup that I've heard of on some random TechCrunch article about how they're working on nuclear fusion, versus a lobbyist from Shell in my office going, "This is horrible. Don't do this." I'm going to yeah. be swayed the other way. You know, so so it, it's all about like so also, for all the businesses. There, there's no work. measure of uh, objective truth when when uh, lobbyists sort of come in because a lobbyist is going to come into an 85 year old senator's office and then you know tap them on the shoulder so they wake up and then tell them that <laughs> nuclear fusion is going to kill kittens and puppies and the senator's going to go, oh my god, that's terrible. We have to ban it and we're going to ban it with some like bizarre language in a bill that has absolutely nothing to do with energy to begin with because that's the system we have now. I think so. Yeah, like so. Th there, there is the 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 lobbying that usually hap that that's newsworthy. Let's put it that way. So, so the the lobbying that independent journalists like to dig up to to kind of notice the bad actions of corporations. Um, that that is basically what you just described. And I, and I think the thing is, for a lot of the younger companies that are coming up right now. Um, how can they properly communicate the benefits of this in the long term without there needing to be um, just a fight with a not necessarily a fight, but without there needing to be a massive corporation who can afford lobbying in order to to convince? I think the issue otherwise. is not. I think the issue is not the the, the mechanism that it, we now call lobbying, but rather who the lawmakers are. And I've said this on a previous mm -hmm. podcast of. I think it's one of the dumbest things that we have ever done is to delegate these existential, you know, questions uh, for society to be pondered and answered by people who have absolutely no stake in watching their decisions play out over the next thirty years. Because, and I'm sorry to be callous, and you know, it's they're not going to be around to live through those decisions, right? Because you know, remember back mm -hmm. when the Brexit vote happened, they said most people who voted for it were over sixty, and most of the disaster is going to unfold over the next thirty years. And what do they care? So, yeah. You know, again, not trying to be ageist, but it's just math. Um, mm -hmm. The problem is not with the with uh, the, the lobbyists. The problem is with the lawmakers. Like the average age of Congress, in my opinion, should be around forty. Yeah, there's got to be some some youth in there who understands all this new stuff that's coming out. No, but do you know why? It's because they have skin in the game. They're not effectively retired. They actually have to live uh, through right. the consequences of their decisions over the next couple decades. At least, mm -hmm. you know, think of this like, you know, when when uh, Senator Shelby or Selby or whatever his name is, the, the Alabama senator 
who basically right. put in these provisions that were absolutely detrimental to crypto a little while ago mm -hmm. in the infrastructure bill. Like right. what he did effectively was ban TCP IP in 1994, you know? Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. And, you know, what does he care? Because he's going to go back to his rotary phone anyways. And mm -hmm. all of us are going to have to sit here twiddling our thumbs, realizing that the, the, the next you know, iteration of what we call innovation is going to be exported to China and India because our dumb law killed it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they don't understand looking what, they're, what they're opining of. It should yeah. be in the hands of younger people. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I mean, the, the, the interesting part about that specifically is just, you know, timing wise, this is the US's golden golden opportunity almost because, you know, look at like China's kind of shooting itself in the foot right now, because they're just fighting against Lord knows what either their 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 party or inside their party, or they're just banning everything that is fun nowadays. But but the the interesting part is just how is the US going to capitalize on this? Because if they're able to put new new members of Congress in that, just like you said, uh, maybe have a Coinbase account, maybe um, have read up on nuclear power and read up on where it could go wrong, where it could go right, have, have, have spoken to a couple of experts about the topic, um, that'll just result in more effective legislation being drafted. Right. No, I mean, exactly. Right. right. And then the other thing is maybe their backgrounds, like how many of them are former lawyers and how many of them are everything else? Oh, exactly. You, I, I remember there was this one story that someone told us of um, this one ex either rocket scientist or engineer who, who got into Congress for a little bit and he ended up leaving because he was just like, I cannot deal with this anymore. But um, I've actually heard of a lot of very interesting organizations who are trying to put more stem people in uh in, in in positions like that and i honestly think for for any proper regulatory framework to form um that's just what's going to need to happen right agreed yeah because i mean so the 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 lawmakers is one option of a solution that we can get to but i think the very nice one is just you know the reason not a lot of people care about the issue of the lawmakers or the laws that are being introduced in them, uh, and they only get notified about the things that have been signed into acts, is because they're not being notified of everything off the get-go. Um, and and you know, I, I I think in terms of in terms of just a, a future movement that needs to happen, um, businesses that plan on leading industries need to be aware of the laws as they stand now and. You know, this is a bit of a controversial thing that I'm personally on the fence on as well, but they need to take an actual part in assisting with the drafting of that legislation. Um, not necessarily because they it's it's in the interest of their business, but which it is, of course, but just because if I'm leading an industry, I want that industry to benefit because embracing creative destruction, I know that it's going to create so much positive for the country. Yes. And protectionism ultimately leads to ruin. Yeah, and 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 gonna turn into a bit of a salesman here, but I mean, the you know talking about the tech in government, it, it's all gonna come down to GovTech. So that industry of of 
people building software to notify others of bills, to notify others of legislation or laws that might concern them, um, that's going to need some sort of revolution or some sort of creative destruction-esque change. Um, because the platforms that are going to need to pop up to make those industry leaders aware of the laws as they exist right now uh, simply don't exist right now. And 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 being in GovTech for as long as I have, uh, which is nothing, by the way, it's just like seeing what I've seen so far. Um, GovTech is a very interesting frontier that has yet to fully let go of Web1. Um, if you get down to the, the city council and planning commissions and those types of uh, organizations and entities, it's all self-hosted websites. They have their own formats. They have their own, everything's decentralized. And it's pretty crazy because the tech that's involved with deciding what's okay and what's not okay in all these industries is just extremely outdated and old. Right. And it's being used to influence people who, not to be ageist, are extremely outdated and old. Right. <laughs> so, so it's just, yeah, seeing seeing how, By the way, not only all these new, yeah. Have you seen how you launch a nuke? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like Fortran and these like 13-inch floppy disk <laughs> things that I thought was like a binder cover until I found out it was actual hardware. And uh, you feed it into this enormous machine that looks like you know Hal from the Stanley Kubrick movie, and uh, which I, well, I mean, it works, and I suppose it's there because you can't hack it, and you know nobody can like put TikTok on it and then unknowingly feed all of that sensitive information to China. Right. But uh, I mean, yeah. sometimes old things are old for a reason and that makes sense. And we don't fight it because the old stuff works fine. Yeah. Other and times I mean, it's just I mean, inexcusable. Exactly. So, and, and uh, you know, the way I see it right now is government and like everything that's going on, deciding the new laws for web three and nuclear, like is inexcusable. And like, I'm very curious to see, what's going to happen in the GovTech space to enable creative destruction again, to enable that, you know, let's just flip the tables because we found this groundbreaking new thing. Um, and just seeing how that, how, when that history repeats itself again, um, what it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, re reflecting on what we've said during this episode, I now think that fake Pearl Ventures is actually a really good VC firm name. Oh, I actually like that a lot. Right? Fake Pearl Ventures. But I, I, don't, I don't think anybody the... wants to see the word fake on their cap table. True. But I mean, they're great. They're amazing companies. Kind of hinting at our last episode with the name fake in their, <laughs> their companies. Oh, right. This episode brought to you by... <laughs> No, I think I think if we um what if we do Kokichi Ventures? That'd be that'd be awesome. Well if you use if you use the surname, then we're definitely getting sued because they still have money oh, and they're still pretty big in Japan. Oh crap. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Make him a part owner? Because it's a cool name, honestly. <laughs> yeah. If anyone from the Mikimoto industry uh or what was it? <laughs> Mikimoto Industries L T D is listening. Uh mm -hmm. We uh, love your uh, uh, founder's story, despite us being Kuwaiti, and uh, definitely, you know, he he caused some hunger in the family at some point, I'm sure. But we still highly respect Indeed. everything he's done for the industry and for creative destruction and a lot of it. Indeed, indeed, and I think, uh, you know, the the when when the next Kokichi comes out and the, our our region 
just gets a little hungrier again. Uh, well, that's, that's they're, the they're, they're not going to get hungry. They're going to bail to London. Let's be honest. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna ship their cars over to London. I think what's that's gonna happen? Exactly. Except this time, um, they won't uh, kind of leave them parked around Hyde Park uh, for the oh, summer right, right, only. Right. They'll be there for a while with British plates and everything. Oh, that's uh, which is going to introduce Lord knows how many political problems as well. But that's that's for another episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, by then we'll we'll be uh, at least you and I will be on some remote island in Thailand having after. After having faked our deaths, and you know, indeed, right, indeed, that's the yep, plan. Exactly, just uh, living Anyhow. on a tropical island with cats, hopefully. Exactly. Now, yep. uh, before we can actually successfully fake our own deaths, uh, we have to uh-huh. work for it. So, that being said, I gotta go. Oh, indeed, indeed, but uh, likewise, and yeah, I mean, just like every other episode, thanks for listening. Um, if if you made it past our our rant, and I think this was one of the more banter heavy ones, and I I, I kind of liked it. Maybe yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, don't don't forget to follow the Venture Bros Show uh, Twitter account. Um, Aziz and I's handles are in the bio on that profile. So um, give us love, give us feedback, give us praise. If there's anything you want us to cover, um, send that our way. We'd be more than happy to. Yeah. Um, fit it into an episode but yeah very very exciting stuff coming up for venture uh, pros so. give me the praise and the feedback if you want to send quote unquote love that's what most dms are for <laughs> indeed indeed they they are open i i read them while i'm half asleep so excuse the the half asleep he's very sad responses and lonely indeed he's Just, also uh, six foot two yeah yeah and uh Facial hair, I guess. Is that is that a thing now? If, um, if you're into beards and like Viking looking men, you should get into his <laughs> slide into his DMs. You can use it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anyways. Until then, I'm in a persistent state of of, uh, of sad boy hours, basically. <laughs> All right. Back to Twitter. Alrighty. Back Bye. to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>